0: To love Legos as a kid. I used to love them. We'd build up all sorts of crazy things. My brother would come in and crush it, knock it all down, piss me off, but then I'd rebuild it and rebuild it over and over and over again. I loved Legos, man. Legos were the shit. My favorite toy growing up as a kid were Legos. And I got to a point, I got to an age where you know Legos were really losing my interest just wasn't really into them anymore. Obviously, we all grow out of certain habits, certain things. And, you know, I still mess with them, but it wasn't, like, my favorite thing to do. And my dad, for Christmas and my birthday, my birthday's December 17th, so it's right there next to Christmas. You know, we didn't have, like, crazy big Christmases, nothing too insane. There's normally one gift from my mom, one gift from my dad, for my birthday and Christmas combined. Now... This one year, my dad got me a Lego set, and you know, I told him I was stoked, right? I was extremely happy with it. Really deep down, wasn't really what I was looking for. You know, like I was kind of out of it by this point, like I was saying, just wasn't into the gift. And unfortunately, it kind of sat there. Just sat there, gathered dust, and I never ended up opening that gift. It was no big deal though. I wasn't a greedy kid. I wasn't upset that he got me the Legos. I just kind of put it off to the side because I don't expect to get anything big. No big deal. But that next year, that next year, we had probably the best Christmas when it came to gifts of my entire life. I guess my dad came with some sort of bonus, and I had two stepbrothers. And my brother, and we all opened up one gift at a time so that we can, you know, interact with each other, right? Share in the moment. But this year, this year was different because... Yeah, we got some big gifts. So instead of us opening up the gifts, we actually had to walk into the room together. And when my brother walks in, the first thing you see, my stepbrother walks in, the first thing you see was this surfboard, this giant surfboard sitting there. It was a longboard, it was like a nine footer. That was for my stepbrother, he was stoked on it, he was asking for it for years. Obviously never got it up until now. Oh man, I'll never forget his face, he was stoked. My stepbrother, my other one, ended up getting a guitar. A nice one. I don't remember what kind it was. I'm not into music or anything, but he got a really super nice guitar. So stoked on it. Then my dad ends up rolling in for my brother, a brand new bike. He just got brand new mountain bike. God, I was stoked for him. And I'm sitting there waiting for mine. And I'm like, Oh God, what could it be? What can it be? And all of a sudden he hands me this box, right? It's a wrapped up box. I was like, Oh man, what's in here? I open it up. It's the same fucking Lego set. Same one. I was, oh man, I was so upset. I was trying to say thank you, but tears started coming down my face because I was so, so upset about this Lego set that I just received two years in a row. (laughs) And I was sitting there, I was like, thanks, thanks, Dad." And all of a sudden I hear from behind me, this noise coming from the TV. I turned around and it said Xbox across the screen. I still didn't even really know what was happening because I was so upset and then it, it hit me. My dad's sitting there laughing at me. Cause he knew that I didn't like like the Lego set. He knew I didn't want it. But now he ended up buying me a brand new Xbox and I couldn't be more happy. We sat there all morning playing on that Xbox. It was it was insane. One of the meanest things a parent could ever do to their child is give them a gift two years in a row (laughs) that they don't like while everybody else is getting awesome shit. But hey, it was funny. Funny looking back on it now. Boy, was I pissed. The whole point of that story is the fact that this year, this year, the first round running backs made you feel the same exact way that I felt when I opened up that Lego box, right? Right? Just upset, just destroyed. Because you were drafting guys like David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon. I don't know if Joe Mixon made it in the first round, but I know in some drafts he did. Meanwhile, people are sitting around you celebrating. Because they got guys like Chris McCaffrey, right? Zeke? Oh, man. He had a solid year. And, of course, Dalvin Cook, who just destroyed everything in the beginning of the season. And the reason that I bring that up is because for this episode, I'm going to keep you away from making the terrible, terrible decision that you made drafting Saquon Barkley or drafting Alvin Kamara with the first overall pick. Because honestly, as soon as you say who is the first overall pick for 2020, I know what every analyst is going to say. It's going to be the consensus number one and you're going to have to have some real balls. Real balls to predict somebody else to be that number one overall pick. Well, I've got those balls. Now, of course, Christian McCaffrey should be the number one pick, but there are guys that you can look at in other offenses that I actually like more than Christian McCaffrey this year. We just have to see how it plays out. Right now, you got to go with Christian McCaffrey, but I promise you there's going to be at least three guys that have potential, potential to knock Christian McCaffrey out of that spot. Did you know... Did you know that there has only been a handful of running backs over the past 10 years to finish up as the top running back with a bottom 16 offense? That's brutal. And especially if Cam Newton does not come back and they draft some rookie some rookie quarterback to come in and take the helm who's going to need time to develop. I don't see... Christian McCaffrey finishing up as the number one RB again. And there's reasons behind it. If you sit there and you look at the narrative of the bottom tier of offensive firepower and the quarterback position obviously being a significant point of weakness for the Carolina Panthers, that's one. That's one reason. Other than that, I want to read you off a few guys who led the league. They led the league in touches that year for the running back position. And I want you to tell me any one of those guys that the following year had a good year or really for the rest of their career. We can start it out with Maurice Jones-Drew. Maurice Jones-Drew ended up having 386 touches, 386 in 2011. Didn't do shit the year after that. Arian Foster, 391 touches the following year, of course. And then in 2013... We have LaShawn McCoy with 366 touches, 2014 DeMarco Murray, 449 touches, Adrian Peterson 2015, 357, David Johnson 2016, 373, Le'Veon Bell 2017, 406, Ezekiel Elliott 2018, 381, and then of course Christian McCaffrey 2019, 403. Every single one of those players had a significant, significant decrease in fantasy points as a whole that following year. Hell, half these guys fell off the damn map. David Johnson has not been the same. Le'Veon Bell looks absolutely brutal. Right? Adrian Peterson fell off. LaShawn McCoy, never been the same. DeMarco Murray, brutal completely fell off the map there. Sure, he had, what, a thousand yards with the Titans? But was he a top-end option? And we can look at other examples like Todd Gurley. It's just the wear and tear, and I understand that Chris McCaffrey is only 23 years old. I get it. But these guys, outside of, what, Adrian Peterson, are all under the age of 26. They are not that far off. The average age is looking like it's right around 24 years old at what happened, so it's one year past Christian McCaffrey. Can he continue to do that? That's my second reason why I don't think he's going to end up as the RB1. It's just tough to sustain that amount of work in the NFL. My next reason right, has to do with, of course, Matt Rule. Matt Rule's coming in there. Right, he's going to take over this whole entire team, the day-to-day operations, acquiring players, and he just signed a seven-year, $60 million contract. $60 million. Now, when you look at the history of how he run th- runs things, well, actually, before we dive into that, you have to understand that he's going to protect his investment. He's going to protect Christian McCaffrey because he's going to have to have him for at least three or four more years minimum. Is he going to want to completely use him out on a losing team, most likely, that needs help on defense, needs help on offense? They need a rebuild. Why would he take their best player or potential best player over the next five years, six years, maybe seven years, and just completely blow him out in the first year that he's coaching there? It doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't do that. At least you would hope that he wouldn't do that. Ron Rivera knew that he was on his way out. That's why Christian McCaffrey was getting every opportunity possible to try and go out there and win the game. They also did not have a quarterback. Now, I could see if they bring in a rookie quarterback that they could end up running Christian McCaffrey at a significantly higher rate than what the average running back would run. But is it going to be... 403 touches? I highly, highly doubt that. I would be shocked to see him have over 350. Now, when it comes to Matt Rule, let's go back into him. Baylor used two RBs the majority of the time. This past year, what's his name? Lovett and Hasty? Lovett had 103 attempts, meanwhile, Hasty had 109. Year before that, Lovett had 109, Hasty had 86, and Ebner had 69. He likes to divide up touches to keep his running backs healthy. Now, are they going to do that in Carolina? I don't see Christian McCaffrey splitting even snaps, but I could see the Panthers going in and drafting a running back in like the fourth round to take some pressure. Just take a little bit of pressure off of Christian McCaffrey. There is a counterpoint to this argument, however. And the counterpoint to this argument is the fact that Christian McCaffrey put up over 123 more points in half-point PPR than any other running back, which is insane. He had a historic season. It was absolutely insane. So even if you take away, take away 25% of his work, he still was an RB1. Still, that's crazy to me. However, I still feel like there are certain situations that could allow, that could allow Christian McCaffrey to be taken overtaken i should say as the number one running back now we're gonna go through a few different guys but i wanted to lay out that that land for you guys so you understand where i'm coming from when i say that i could see somebody else being the first overall pick over christian mccaffrey i'm gonna lay out that negative side now we're going to the positive side of other guys and the first guy i want to talk about is going to be zeke right zeke is extremely consistent he is built to, to handle that workload And although I just talked about how many touches, of course, Christian McCaffrey's taking, Zeke hasn't slowed down. Still a young guy and unfortunately has not been used in the passing game like he needs to be. And that's still a huge, huge concern for me going forward. Because McCarthy, who hasn't had a single running back, a single running back be the number one guy. I mean, his best running backs that he's had since he was in Green Bay, Not a single one of them has eclipsed the amount of yards that Ezekiel Elliott had in his worst season outside of the season that he only played 10 games in in 2017. Every single, every single year has been better than McCarthy's best running back in, what, 10-plus years? That is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And like I said, it's a concern because Zeke did not get touches this past year like he got the year before that when it comes to receptions. We need receptions. We need receptions. That was what made Christian McCaffrey so great. He had an insane amount of receptions. And like I said, I don't know if that's going to happen because McCarthy does not use his running back in the passing game. He just doesn't use it. Not that often. And then when it comes to Kellen Moore, who just took over as the offensive coordinator. Well, he was the offensive coordinator this past year, took over as the offensive coordinator this past year. They retained him. So they're probably going to have a very similar offense, which does not feature Zeke in the passing game. That scares me. He had 147 yards and one touchdown in the air less. Couple that with the 77 yards on the ground. Oh, and get this. He also played one less game two seasons ago only played 15 this past year he played 16 and he has like I said what like 225 yards less total it's not good it's not good but still I could still see Zeke being a potential number one option depending on how this offseason looks for Christian McCaffrey now my next guy we got Saquon Barkley and honestly, I feel like he could be a number one pick this upcoming year, depending on how this offseason goes. They really desperately need to add some offensive line talent, and that's going to be a big theme for this segment. They desperately need to add some off, er, offensive line talent. But look at these running backs that Jason Garrett, who is going in to take over the offensive coordinator position... For the New York Giants, look at who, the running backs that he has turned into stars, superstars. Zeke, of course. DeMarco Murray, who had an insane season with him. Felix Jones, who was, God, I mean, he shouldn't have even been in the conversation, and yet he still had multiple fantasy viable seasons. <laughs> Marion Barber, you remember him? Oh, yeah. And Julius Jones, you remember him? All these guys were under Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator or the head coach. They have all been viable options in fantasy football. Yeah, I'm taking a shot. I'm taking a shot on Saquon Barkley in quite a few drafts. I'm going to do what I can to see if I can get him because Jason Garrett there as the offensive coordinator could be absolutely insane. Now, what we need to see is the targets because all these guys that I just mentioned from Jason Garrett, they got targets. They got targets. I need to see volume. I need to see targets and I need to see a built up and revamped offensive line. There are so many good offensive line in this upcoming free agency. They shouldn't be short on any, anybody. I know that they need to rebuild their defense, but they really desperately need an offensive line. I mean, you've got Brandon Sheriff out there. You've got Thoney, Marshall Yanda, Clint Bowling, Andrews Pete, that tackle. You've got Brian Boga, George Fant from Seattle. You've got Costanzo, Staley. Yeah. You've got a bunch, bunch of different options to build around if some of these guys can make it a free agency and the Giants need to invest heavily, heavily in that offensive line. They made a good trade, acquiring Zeidler. Now they need to keep progressing and keep moving in to build up that offensive line for Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones, if he progresses, should open up that offense significantly. And I can see Saquon Barkley getting right back to being that number one option in fantasy. I love it. I love Saquon Barkley this year. Just got to build up that offensive line. Now, Alvin Kamara's next. right? And he wasn't healthy this entire year. Like, he was dealing with that ankle issue, and he wasn't being used the same way that he was being used the prior year, especially when it comes to the efficiency. Now, if he can hold up, and, and the New Orleans Saints have Drew Brees retire, and Taysom Hill take over as the starting quarterback, that could be insane. in fucking Insane. Listen, the New Orleans Saints can move and shift their offense over to be a, some sort of replica of what the Ravens do. And I'm not saying they run the Ravens offense, right? I'm not saying that he all of a sudden becomes Lamar Jackson, but he has the same sort of skills and ability to run like Lamar Jackson does, but he's a bigger version, less fast, less quick, but he's bigger. He can handle those hits, and that should open up plenty, plenty, of opportunity for Alvin Kamara. My only concern is that his targets significantly dip because instead of just dumping it off to the running back when you get in trouble, Taysom Hill might be looking to run instead. Could be counterproductive, but at the same time, I could see Alvin Kamara in the right situation potentially being the number one overall draft pick in 2020. This one's going to shock people because I shit on Joe Mixon constantly, but Joe Mixon could be an option probably not going to be but he could be right Jonah Williams who was the left tackle supposed to be the franchise guy he got hurt he Drafted him with the 11th overall pick but he got hurt it was something like a torn labrum in his shoulder he was out for the whole season almost now if he ends up coming back and they invest in another draft pick or in they invest in the offensive line in the free agency it could be huge it could be huge Right? The addition Burrow could end up opening up that offense. But check this out. I want you guys to wrap your brain around this because this idea is a little bit twisted. A little twisted. The Cincinnati Bengals. God, am I drunk right now? Am I really about to say this on my podcast? God, I'm getting ballsy today. Let's do this. This idea is twisted, but let's just say the Cincinnati Bengals, Right, they coached the Senior Bowl this past week. And Justin Herbert earned insane, insane reviews. Not only did he work the hardest of anybody there, but they were saying he looked incredible in all the drills that they were having him run. Looked incredible. Not just okay, he looked incredible. And then he exploded at the Senior Bowl. Absolutely exploded. He ended up winning the Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl MVP. Crushed it. What if... The Cincinnati Bengals trade out of the number one spot to the Miami Dolphins, who their owner loves Joe Burrow. Loves him. Absolutely loves him. What if they trade their three first-round picks that they acquired, maybe a second next year's draft or something along those lines, Miami Dolphins end up with Joe Burrow, and the Cincinnati Bengals end up picking Justin Herbert. Maybe even Tua. If they keep Andy on for one more year, I could see them going Tua. I mean, it's not absolutely insane, but the the Cincinnati Bengals have so many holes. Offense, defense, everywhere. And if they can sign one of these quality offensive linemen, get like a Brandon Sheriff in there, which I'm a Redskins fan. I hope he doesn't leave. I hope the Redskins are smart enough to resign him. But if he doesn't, he is a mauler and he is a run-blocking guard. They got Michael Jordan at the other guard position who was okay, not great. They end up cutting. They would have to cut Bobby Hart. They save $7.9 million if they cut Bobby Hart in this offseason. I think they have like $2 million in dead cap space. That's it. So if they cut Bobby Hart, they end up drafting with the second pick, a right tackle, if they don't sign one in the free agency. All of a sudden, Joe Mixon becomes relevant. I mean, that second half of the season that he had was incredible. That was amazing because he didn't have an offensive line. Because that team is not set up to run the ball. It's set up to pass under Zach Taylor's system. The whole entire rest of his team was completely depleted from all the injuries. And then all of a sudden, he just goes off and puts up RB1 numbers with nobody around him. Everybody knew he was getting the ball. And I'm not a big Joe Mixon fan, but I could see, I could see a world where he absolutely goes off. And I think I'm one year too early on this. I think I'm one year too early. I think they need time to develop their players that they're going to pick up in this draft. But what if Joe Mixon, for me, is probably going to end up in the first round as long as the uh, Cincinnati Bengals do the right thing. And acquire some of this offensive line talent. But there is a world where I could see him going number one overall. Not likely, but there is a world I think I'm just one year too early on it. My last guy, and this is my favorite guy, actually pick as the number one overall pick, and it kind of complicated things because of the Kareem Hunt situation. But Nick Chubb could be a very, very interesting prospect. All right, we already talked about some of these coaching changes in earlier episodes, but. Nick Chubb, for me, is a must-buy this season, especially if you need to win a championship. Because Stefanski went over to the Browns, took over the head coaching position. He's coming from Minnesota, where they used Dalvin Cook to dominate. Bill Callahan, who is one of the best offensive line coaches in NFL history, history, is now taking over the offensive line coach for the Browns. And this is kind of funny because this is exactly the same thing that I wanted the Redskins to do. Instead, we end up with knucklehead, riverboat Ron. But what if they go out, and we already talked multiple times about all these free agents. What if they go out and they acquire a couple of these free agents to replace guys like Zeitler, right? They use their, their first round pick on a young guard. Kareem Hunt goes somewhere else in signs, although now it's complicated because he is having this issue. But, I mean, he's a starting caliber running back. He is a starting caliber running back. He actually outsnapped Nick Chubb three of the last eight games. And that had a big piece to do with why Nick Chubb kind of fell off towards the end of the season. But in that beginning part of the season, he was dominating. I mean, up until, what, week one to week six, he was RB3. He was the third best running back from weeks one to week six. And this was on a losing team with a bad offense. They ended up going down in games and he barely touched the ball in all the fourth quarters. He had one of the least amount of touches of any running back in the NFL in the fourth quarter, at least starting running backs. I don't know. I just feel like there's a chance. There's a shot that if Nick Chubb can get his his hands on the ball and get those touches in, that he could absolutely go off and is likely to happen. Because for the Minnesota Vikings prior to that bye week, Cook had no less than 16 touches in a game. That's very, very similar. His touches were almost equal to Christian McCaffrey. Could the Browns do the same thing with Nick Chubb? And I think that's very, very possible if if Kareem Hunt does not come back. Kareem Hunt does not come back and they invest in offensive line with the best offensive line coach who helped Adrian Peterson dominate. Like what? Yeah, there's a real chance that Nick Chubb could go number one for me. A real chance. Him and Saquon Barkley for me are, are both in the conversation right now. Now, I know a lot of people want to go with Aaron Jones. That's a potential uh, landing spot, especially with Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams will be a free agent, I believe, this year. So if the Green Bay Packers do not re-sign Jamal Williams, I could see that happening. And even if they do, it still could be a conversation of topic. But that defense has, has to continue dominating. They have to continue dominating, and there's a good chance they do because their cornerbacks are young. Secondary is extremely young, and they got both Preston Smith and Zaria Smith under contract for multiple years. So, yeah, I could see that happening. Very realistic chance that Aaron Jones could be up there as well, but I don't love it. He's a late first-rounder for me. I know I, I'm going to hear it from Derrick Henry truthers and Aaron Jones truthers. I know I'm going to hear it, but those two guys for me, I probably won't have very many shares because I think that they're going to go higher than what I'm willing to take them. Now, uh, with this episode, I was just going to do the running backs and then I was going to jump into something else, but I started looking at it and I'm like, man, wide receivers are pretty sexy. And so instead of doing what wide receivers I would take with the number one pick, because I don't think I would, I don't think I'd take one in the top three picks. Maybe Michael Thomas, maybe. But I went in and I looked at guys that could supplant those top-tier wide receivers. Happens every year. Somebody sneaks in there. For me, my first guy is going to be A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky for him because obviously the Tennessee Titans, they got this theory, they want to run the ball. They want to run the ball. That's what they want to do. But check out this little nugget, okay? Okay. Derrick Henry, who was drafted in the second round, just finished up the fourth year in his contract, which makes him a free agent. He doesn't have that fifth-year option because he was taken in the second round. That means that Tennessee Titans are going to have to pony up for him. That's right. And the Tennessee Titans have so many free agents, I can't even count them. I mean, you're talking about guys like Logan Ryan, who, of course, they want to bring back. Ryan Tannenhill. They want to bring back Jack Conklin, the right tackle. They got 50 million in cap space, but they got a ton, a ton of notable free agents. Where are they going to draw the line with Derrick Henry? Because, you know, with his utilization, he's going to want some big time money. And for a one dimensional back, are they really going to want to pay him? I mean, what do you think Derrick Henry could get? 15 million? 16 million a year? Is he gonna ask for more than that? It's very, very possible. And if they end up re-signing Tannehill for let's just say 25 million or 20, let's say 23 million, because the market for the quarterback is going through the roof. At least 30 million. I mean, I'm sorry, at least 23 million. Right? And he wants to get 18 million? That's not gonna be good. Now, I'm sure that there are guys that they can cut, and I haven't really looked into that much. So I'm not saying that it's going to be impossible to re-sign Derrick Henry, but what if he doesn't come back? That could be crazy for A.J. Brown, as long as they re-sign A.J. Brown could be a first-round pick, potentially. Probably not, but could be a first-round pick if Derrick Henry does not get re-signed. And they end up getting a running back in like the third round instead of going after one early. Now, there could also be a chance that they franchise tag Derrick Henry, in which case, you know, suck for Derrick Henry. But that makes sense. But still, just keep in mind, A.J. Brown could be a significant, significant value this upcoming year. My next guy to bump out that top tier guys is going to be Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay might not be that shocking. He was the number six overall guy in half-point PPR this past year. But Stafford, if he comes back healthy, right, and that back issue doesn't bother him, or if they draft a quarterback to develop, that could be awesome for Kenny Galladay. And I could definitely see him making his way into that top tier this year. In fact, I think that he could be the number one overall wide receiver. I mean, (laughs) David Blau, my little pop-gun pistol, Right? Pistol pop gun. David blah blah blah. I mean, he allowed Kenny Galladay to be a wide receiver six. It obviously wasn't just him. He had some pretty big games with Matt Stafford, but still, Kenny Galladay could end up being a monster this upcoming season if Stafford comes in and plays that whole season. I mean, this past year, he had a 65 reception. 1,190 yards and 11 touchdowns. This is his second straight year of 1,000 yards. He is going to be very reliable. He's going to be very safe. And for me, I have him as a second round pick. Late, second, early, third. Next guy. This one's, I think I'm a little bit too early on this one. But DJ Moore, if Cam Newton is healthy, could be very, very interesting. I'd rather them draft a quarterback. You know, get Herbert in there. But if Cam Newton gets resigned, gets brought back, and he's healthy, I mean, DJ Moore, the sky's the limit. Push it to the limit, the sky. I don't know. He just ended up having a phenomenal season this year, especially in the second half. He's developing into that all-star receiver they drafted him to be. He's got wheels. He's got hands. God, man, I love DJ Moore. Like I said, I think I might be a season early for myself to consider him a top-tier guy, but he's also at the same place that Chris Godwin was the year before this. Cortland Sutton is going to be my next guy that I talk about. And Drew Locke, if he's better than anticipated, right, which, I mean, I didn't anticipate much. I didn't project him to be a top-end guy. I thought he was going to end up going in the wash just like Brock Osweiler. But if he can go out and perform at a high-end level, Cortland Sutton could be an absolute monster absolute monster on top of that could you imagine if Denver goes out and drafts a guy like Ruggs a guy that can stretch out that field that can prevent double teams from happening on every play up against Cortland Sutton open up the middle of the field for him I mean this guy's a red zone threat he's a between the 20s threat you can use him anywhere and if Henry Ruggs can go in there and help him open up the offense it could be insane for the Broncos If I'm the Broncos, I'm investing in wide receiver and I'm investing in the offensive line because I don't think you're going to need any other spots on that offense to be invested in. And that young, young team is going to be a team to reckon with for the next, what, five to 10 years? God, man, Denver's sexy and so is Cortland Sutton. I love it, man. I think he's going to get knocked out of that top tier. When it comes to my next guy, and I'm pretty much going to get a lot of hate for this one, but DK Metcalf. I know it's only his second year. Typically, it takes wide receivers three years or so to break out, but DK Metcalf is special, man. He's special. Chris Carson, he's dealing with a hip injury. He's expected to be ready, but they still don't think that he's going to be a full go when the season starts. And then Rashad Penny, God, man, I feel bad for that guy. He tore his ACL at the worst possible time. Why would you do that, Rashad? Why would you tear your ACL? Come on, man. You got to do better for yourself. Did at the worst possible time. There's a good chance that he misses out on the whole season next year. It's not guaranteed. We got to see how his progress goes. But there's a good chance that he misses out on the entire season next year. I do expect him to add a running back in the draft. Probably right around the fourth round or so. But CJ Procise has not been durable. Travis Homer has proved to be a letdown. And Chris Carson might not be healthy. Where do they go? They have a bad defense. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. DK Metcalf takes over as the primary receiver in Seattle over Tyler Lockett and ends up finishing up the year with 1,400 yards and, what, 12 touchdowns? 15 touchdowns, maybe? Maybe not 15, but 12 is definitely attainable. He's also going to have, we'll say, 70 to 80 receptions. DK Metcalf could absolutely have an insane season this next year that could vault him into the top tier of wide receivers for the next 10. I love it. You gotta consider, when you talk about DK Metcalf, you have to consider Lockett's injury history. What happens if Lockett goes out or he has a bad stretch of games again? There are so many different ways that DK Metcalf can make his way into the top tier. It's insane, I love it. DK Metcalf for me, he's gonna be somebody that I definitely reach for. Now, is there a big chance that any of this will happen? No, these are all pretty much hot takes. I mean, the consistency of Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you got Julio Jones, Chris Godwin. It's going to be hard to boot any one of those guys out. But I've been talking about it nonstop. This influx of young talent that is coming in the league currently over this past year and the next two to come is going to blow out these old receivers. And I think that the only one that we're going to be talking about Coming tier one in about two to three years from now is going to be Michael Thomas. It's going to be the only one. All these other guys are going to get moved down to tier two. Now we're going to go on the tight end. And the tight end obviously is the toughest position to predict every year because it's so, so reliant on touchdowns and on volume. And volume for a tight end is it, it's not a thing that you can actually say, oh, they're definitely going to have 10 catches this game. The only one that you can say that for is George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. But there are a few guys that I want to keep an eye on because there's always potential. And Vance McDonald's the first one. I know. I know he let everybody down. He sucked ass this past year. I mean, but we saw the year before this, and there's a reason why everybody was predicting Vance McDonald to go off. Jesse James, who shared the snaps with him, he moved on. Vance McDonald was supposed to get all that work. Vance McDonald, if he did get all that work, would have been a top end, tight end, a top five minimum. But then Ben Roethlisberger got hurt and you had to deal with shitty, shitty quarterbacks. It's probably the second or third worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Vance McDonald with Ben Roethlisberger two years ago when he had to share the field with Jesse James had 50 receptions for 610 yards and four touchdowns. If you just take 25% of that and add that on there, he's like a tight end six, tight end five. If you end up increasing that, like, just say that he gets 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards. If you double that with Ben Roethlisberger at the helm, God, man. Now, we do have to keep an eye on that because Ben Roethlisberger is obviously coming back from that injury. We have to see how he's throwing. Arm strength, if it's still there. But that could be a good thing if his arm strength isn't because he won't be able to push it downfield. He'll be going to Vance McDonald. It could be gold. It could absolutely be gold with Vance McDonald this upcoming year, and I'm going to be taking a shot on him. You might not even have to draft him. That's the best part. You might not even have to draft him. Evan Ingram's my next guy. Hopefully, hopefully he can stay healthy. Right? He's been having issues, and hopefully he doesn't climb up the draft boards, because I think by the time the analysts see what is going on in New York, the drafts They're going to start happening, and Evan Ingram is going to slowly start to climb. But hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he stays right where he's at. Seventh, eighth round. And I would love him there. I would pick him there every fucking time. Because Jason Garrett is coming in to be the offensive coordinator, and the talent, from a talent standpoint, Evan Ingram is far superior to Jason Witten, at least in pass catching. I'm not saying he's a better tight end, but talent-wise, Evan Ingram has everything you'd want in a tight end to be a superstar. Jason Garrett, who transformed Jason Witten's career. Oh, my God. I love it. I mean, I could cause a compelling argument where Evan Ingram could be over Travis Kelsey and over George Kittle. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but there is a shot because of the fact that you have wide receivers that aren't amazing not stars, right? They match up up against the defensive backs pretty evenly across the board. If there's a good defensive back, there's a good chance that they're going to be less talented than that defensive back. Meanwhile, Evan Ingram, who's going to see a lot of linebackers and safeties is going to trump every player he goes up against in talent. Outside of a few safeties in the league, there's not too many safeties that can shut down a talent like Evan Ingram. So if you're Daniel Jones and you have Evan Ingram, who are you going to go to? A guy that has a significant talent advantage over the opposing team or a guy that is probably going to be slightly worse? Red zone targets are going to go his way. Green zone targets are going to go his way. I love Evan Ingram this upcoming season. I cannot wait to draft him. My last one, Austin Hooper, which is kind of, a, I guess, a lazy pick to an extent, but Austin Hooper did not finish out the year well. In weeks one through ten, though, he was the number one tight end in the league. He went through an injury, and guess what? Fell off. I could see Austin Hooper coming back next season and getting right back on the same page with Matt Ryan, who should have a better offensive line overall and should make a significant stride with that offense. Oh, my God. I love Austin Hooper, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to get him. I don't think I'm going to draft him because he's probably going to go in, like, the fourth round, and I'm not going to take him that early. But I think he has a chance to finish up as the number one tight end. All right, last but not least, guys, and we're going to close out this episode. We're going to go over quarterbacks. But before we do, I've got, a, I've got a really, really interesting quarterback on this list that I think you guys are going to love. But before I do, if you guys want to go and support the show, go on to Patreon.com slash Fantasy Intervention. Once again, that's Patreon.com slash Fantasy Intervention. If you joined our circle, you would have won money last week for the Pro Bowl. For the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's right. And fucking Kirk Cousins. God damn it, Kirk. Why did you fumble? Why did you fumble? We would have won thousands of dollars if you didn't fumble. Instead, I have to settle for hundreds. Why did you fumble? Damn it. Let me down, man. What else is new? i a Redskins fan. So there you go. But it's patreon.com slash fantasyintervention. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fantasyintervention. I post up multiple lineups every single time I have a chance. We're going to have exclusive Dynasty content coming out for that. Don't want to miss it. Patreon.com slash fantasyintervention. It's 2 bucks a month. Just don't miss it. If you, you're sitting there and you listen to football podcasts all the time, and you're like, damn, I'm running out of stuff to listen to because everybody is stopping all the recordings, then you can go to patreon.com and you will be getting an extra episode starting up next week. Yeah, get excited for that. It might be, might be the following week, but it's within the next three weeks or so. I'll be starting to do two episodes, one on Patreon, one on here. going to be completely different. And on Patreon, I'm going to break it down way more into statistical analytics. So yeah. Go join our Patreon. If you guys want to listen to us on any of the platform, we're available on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox. Oh yeah, SoundCloud. Get excited. And we're on Facebook.com/slash fantasyintervention. So go follow us there. But on to the quarterbacks. First guy I want to talk about is Kyler Murray with a progressing offense, a bad defense, and that's what I want for my quarterbacks. He also runs which is great and there's a good chance they pick up a wide receiver in this draft early in this draft. Somebody like CeeDee Lamb to pair on the opposite side of Andy Isabella along with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald who's coming back for another season and Larry Fitzgerald I don't care about him in fantasy but I care about the surrounding people. He's going to end up taking work away from Christian Kirk but allowing Kyler Murray to still get what five or six hundred extra yards this year. I love Kyler Murray. He is going to be a top five quarterback or borderline top five quarterback. He finished out as number seven this past year. I love Kyler Murray. Josh Allen, you guys have heard me talk about him multiple times. They're going to surround him with talent, in my opinion, in Buffalo. They need to. I think they're going to. I think the rest of the team is extremely solid. But you definitely saw a lack of firepower. Definitely saw a lack of firepower in the NFC I'm sorry, the AFC wildcard game. So I think they go in and I think they add a bunch of talent to that to that roster. And that's going to make Josh Allen, who finished out as a top end option for quarterbacks this year, could make him compete. Could make him compete for that number one overall spot with Lamar Jackson because I don't see Lamar Jackson having that sort of efficiency that he had this past season. My last guy that I'm going to talk about, a guy that's extremely interesting for me, and that's Taysom Hill. If Drew Brees retires... which I don't know if he does. I don't see him doing that. But if he does retire Taysom Hill, oh, my God. They're going to alter the offense slightly to suit him. And I think that he can throw. I think that he can run. And we all see where this league is going to. See with Josh Allen. We see with Mark Jackson. Kyler Murray to an extent. But the next team that's going to go this route is going to be the New Orleans Saints. And I'm going to love every second of it because I'm going to have some sort of ownership with Taysom Hill. God, I can't wait. I'm not saying they have to be the Ravens, but if they just run a few plays a game like the Ravens run, Jesus, man. This kid's going to be insane. He's built like a tight end, but he's a quarterback. He runs like a running back, but he's a quarterback. He even catches the ball like a wide receiver, but he's a quarterback. Is there anything this kid can't do? He could be the most talented overall NFL player in in the league. He could be. I love Taysom Hill, man. Anyways, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us. Oh, big shout-out to Fantasy Football Discussion, by the way. Love you guys. And thank you guys once again for listening. Thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. I'm out. Niggas is dope, to switch up a stove, pick up a stove, they feelin' the way, and know i the go. Hey, 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 I got it made, my niggas is made, I'm getting my money, my nigga, I'm paid. The pussy is good, my credit is great. All i want is a yacht. That's how you bang a podcast.